Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. need a moment uh, to remind ourselves. This is Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. The Film Guys and I are going to be talking about Memento, but before we do that, very important that we do something we have never done before. <laughs> We're going to just uh, get that spoiler alert out of the way because this movie really doesn't even... It's impossible, I think, <laughs> yeah. to actually discuss this you can't movie throw without Budinsky. giving away the ending. <laughs> you can't throw Budinsky through that window enough times to remind yourself how, how endless this movie is. It almost, in some ways, uh, has no beginning or end. So to spoil the end in some way, um, it, it just gives you an idea that we're going to talk about the a, a lot of these details. But there's something about the way it ends that you get the feeling it's just about to begin again. That's right. It ends just before... The ending where it begins. And Does that know, make any sense? That, what yes, I, you know? I kind of got that. But you know what? If you've seen the movie, what George yes. just said may well make a great deal of sense to you. If not, you're in for quite a ride. Hey, Nikki, isn't George our man from the Library of Congress? As it turns out, he is. I'm Nikki Dakota, your host, <laughs> and we're joined in the studio by the nitrate film archivist from the Library of Congress, our man at the Library of Congress, and a great friend. He's George Willem, and George, welcome. I am already deeply confused and disturbed <laughs> and also, before seeing this movie. <laughs> and after only more, uh, we have in the studio as well, live and in person, Mr., uh, well, the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers and many, many more movies we love. You should check him on uh, Internet Movie Database sometime. And uh, he is our best movie guy. He's J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, welcome. Today I'm that famous Escher sketch of the dueling hand <laughs> with the two hands. And the hands pencil. drawing each That's other. That's what I am today because of this movie. <laughs> like a really fabulous sketch that Escher... Before we get into this sort of, you know, snake eating its tail of a story, a hand drawing itself coming out of the page, let's quickly remind everyone that this movie and all movies we talk about on Filmically Perfect have to pass a very strict list of rules. And gentlemen, those rules are... Memento creates the filmically perfect world that it exists in. <laughs> and it wholly sustains that world, even though it's running backwards. And regardless of changes in society, backwards and forwards, Memento retains its meaning and entertainment value. And it will never be placed in any kind of preferential or numerical order. Memento is perfect within its own scale. Amen, brother. I have to say that I'm uh, a little bit changed after having seen this movie. And, and we, we just saw it, so we're doing this show right now so we don't forget it. Yeah. And by the way, a huge uh, thanks to the Little Art Theater and Jenny over there who, for allowing us to screen it right Yay. there. Thank you so much. We, we got our own private screening of this movie. And, uh, and I'm telling you what, uh, seeing it on the big screen only made it that much more confusing, which makes me feel somewhat... Sorry for you, George, as it 
always comes to you to lay out the plot. Now, just good luck with that. I've been thinking about this. Um, Memento, the basic story of Memento is a man whose whose wife has been um, uh, attacked, uh, raped, and brutalized, and possibly killed in, in a home attack. And he was um, surprised the uh, assailant who, who hit him, knocked him to the floor, and caused this short-term memory loss. And what this does for him is he can remember everything in his life up to that point. From that point on to today, he cannot make any new memories, which means anyone he meets, any place he goes, anything he does, within moments, literally, within a few minutes, he completely forgets it. And this is a real condition. I, I, they said it, and I, I looked it up, and pterograde memory loss. It actually exists. It's not, this is not just a, you know, a, a fictional sort of interesting uh, a storytelling device. This really has happened to people. So um, Leonard, as his name is, played by Guy Pierce, um, has to come up with systems. He develops a system for remembering things. And it starts with writing little notes, and it progresses to taking Polaroid pictures, and then he'll make a note at the white area in the white area at the bottom of the picture of who it is or what it is or where it is, and then to really remember the important things, he begins having the uh, notes tattooed on his chest, arms, and legs, so that he always has them with him to remind him of what he is about. And his whole thing is he is trying to find the murderer of his wife, and he only has a few clues to go on. And they're all tattooed on him. They are tattooed, tattooed on him. Tattooed on him or in his pockets or – but basically that's it. I guess tattooed or on the uh, – contained in the photographs and the notes that are made Yeah, his there. photographs are his link to what's going on. I, I have this to say to all of you out there. If you are one of those people that reads a book, when you read a book – I know who this one person is, but I'm not <laughs> going to say who it is on the radio because okay. I'm fair. And uh, if you're one of those people that go to the back of the book and read the last 10 pages and then go and read it, <laughs> and you've never seen this movie, go see this movie right now. Because they, they show you the end first. <laughs> you're going to get it. And you know, you're going to get what you deserve for all these years of, of what these writers have put together. And you read the back end of the book first and you go back and read the book. This will teach you. This this will set you straight. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is Leonard has several other characters that he interacts in with th- throughout the movie. One of them is Teddy, who may or may not be a cop. He actually probably is a cop. Um, you're not sure at times. Played by Joe Pantone- Pan- Pan- Pantoliano. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, and Natalie, played by Carrie Ann Moss, who works in a bar. And also uh, two, one or two drug dealers. Now, these characters are interacting with him, but the way that Nolan has very amazingly put this film together, you see the results of an action before you see the action. So it's traveling. Basically, we get this notion that the, 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 the plot is traveling is backwards. backwards. And it, it becomes, and at first I was completely like washed over, just really overwhelmed, and I couldn't sort it out. But then as I began to get a little bit of a sense of the cadence and the rhythm of right. this, I just really was actually, there riveted. Actually, there are two. There's one storyline, but there are actually two parts of it running in different directions. You have um, the main storyline running backwards. 
you have an earlier portion of the storyline running frontwards, sort of interpolated between the backward sections. And to help differentiate them, those sections are in black and white. Which, and thank as, you for helping me yes. understand that, 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 that that is a little mechanism that he uses, which is actually really helpful. And I'll bet you, I'll just bet you, and I'd love to be proven wrong on this, but they tested this film and all those scenes were in color and it didn't work. That's what I'll bet. It is. They it went is in there possible. and they had to differentiate. You know, it would have been very hard for a standard viewer to make sense of this movie if it wasn't in black and white in the well, sections. But and you could also say about. if you go from a more uh, uh, colorful, pardon the pun, uh, idea, um, <laughs> black and white anymore is often used as sort of a, a, a either either to to denote like dream sequences or to denote reality. You know, or truth. Like we were talking about some documentaries are shot in black and white, and that gives more of a, a, a realism to them. So I like to think that Christopher Nolan was creative enough that that was his intention from the first. But you could be totally right that it was all in color and it just, it just, because it, it would could really be, confuse but I'll, people. I'm just guessing here because I kind of know the process when they're testing this stuff. Right. Is uh, that, that's probably what happened is because on several movies I've worked on, they have tested them several times. They have to go back and recut them because the audience got confused, you know, well, in the testing process. But well, a, yeah. be- a beautiful moment in the film occurs when the two timelines meet. And when they meet, the, the film fades from black and white to color and then continues to progress backwards in the story. The frontwards part ceases and the rest of the film goes completely backwards. You're still tor- you're still tormented though. And yeah, whereas in a movie theater we would normally try to be quiet since it was just the three of us. At one point I remember turning to you George. I was like, "George, what's what's happening? What is going on? Why is part of this in black and white?" And you said, "That part's moving forward." Mm-hmm. The other part moving back, which was exceptionally helpful in bringing clarity, or at least some clarity, to helping understand. And the events of this uh, movie are pretty gruesome, one after the next. Right, because, um, like we said, Leonard is looking for this killer of his wife, and he has decided that he is going to kill the killer of his wife. And he's helped by Teddy, and Natalie gives him some clues but the, the trick is you don't know how much they're really helping him or how much they're just using him as a tool for their own desires of bloodlust and murder. Um, well, one thing that uh, you can pretty much bank on on this movie, a movie, you're going to be checking your memory constantly because that is his barrier through the whole picture is his memory. Now, you have to ask yourself, how long is his short-term memory loss? And the one clue that we have in the beginning is – the Polaroid snapshot that is as you used to, those beautiful, beautiful little Polaroids used to just kind of come up, you know, and you'd see them. And it's all shot in reverse. So we can only maybe guess that his memory loss is about the, the, the amount of time that it takes for one of those Polaroid pictures to develop. It would be about 90 seconds. <laughs> Which was, by the way, the, the, the movie opens basically with yes. a Polaroid, a picture of a Polaroid, and then you realize, but you realize slowly that it's disappearing. And right. It's not developing. It's, it's backwards. It's going backwards. Yeah, yeah. and that's the one thing that kind of sets it into motion is that the very first scene in the movie runs completely backwards. Now, within the film, there's a really wonderful uh, scene, which we're going to play a little bit of dialogue here from, where um, uh, Leonard is speaking to Teddy, and is and they're talking about uh, you know how reliable he his system is for keeping track of his memories and 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 Leonard makes some really interesting and somewhat for future foretelling comments about the reliability of memory so let's hear that Lenny 
You can't trust a man's life to your little notes and pictures. Why not? Because your notes could be unreliable. Memory's unreliable. Ah, oh, please. No, 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 really. No, Memory's I... not perfect. It's not even that good. Ask the police. Eyewitness testimony is unreliable. That's... The cops don't catch a killer by sitting around remembering stuff. Right. They, they collect facts. That's not what I'm saying. They make notes and they draw conclusions. Facts, not memories. That's how you investigate. I know. It's what I used to do. Look, memory can change the shape of a room. It can change the color of a car. And memories can be distorted. They're just an interpretation. They're not a record. And they're irrelevant if you have the facts. You really want to get this guy, don't you? Killed my wife. He took away my memory. He destroyed my ability to live. You're living. Only for revenge. Well, then we'll get the bastard. Where you staying? Mm. There you have it. Most of the movies that we talk about on Filmically Perfect, um, sometimes they're cinematically driven by picture. Uh, sometimes they're cinematically driven by, you know, their strong suits are music or score. Like the Preston Sturgis movies are usually driven by really strong dialogue. And this movie, you know, this is a very, very straightforward approach in this movie. There's nothing very fancy about what they do, but it's highly cinematic. And um, what you're going to see is a movie glued together with inserts. That's what's going on here. It's glued together with small inserts. Uh, usually inserts are standard items that we use in the business, hand on gun, close-up of eyes, um, pretty standard stuff. It's all catalog usually. I can almost tell what they're going to do. But in this case, the movie is contingent on some very, very important inserts because the whole film is running backwards. So insert is sort of like a cutaway from the actual action to, to draw your eye to a point, to a plot point, basically? Well, all those Polaroid photographs are all inserts. Okay. And, and almost every time a key piece of action is con that, it, that is moving the story forward, it's always through an insert. Now, an insert is usually there to hold the story together, not push it, in this case, backwards. And George pointed out when we were talking about this is that this film has to be done in a real basic sense. It can't be too fancy. Um, but in this case, it doesn't have strong music. Cinematography is pretty good. The acting is okay. But what makes this movie better, right on the on level of Groundhog? day is the technique that they use in the movie which is completely the narrative on how this movie is driven now if you say hmm this is kind of smelling like the manchurian candidate there's a very good reason for that we're talking about the 2000 uh movie movie out in the year 2000 memento christopher nolan directed and uh, just another of the perfect movies on filmically perfect and i have to say i agree I agree that it's perfect, but I I don't even pretend to really get well, not what I saw. Do, you know, you know, George, when the Manchurian Candidate, this is this is the simplified version of this show. Wouldn't you say they <laughs> built and designed this guy to do things very much like uh, Lawrence Kasdan? They built him. They built him through, you know, a Korean mind melding and the mental conditioning. Well, in this case, you're going to find out real quick that something. Is just not quite right, and it takes you the whole movie to figure it out because you're going backwards, and it they are building right, right. That is, and that, that is the guy. That's the beauty of it, and that's why I say that if you ran this film, if you took all the scenes and rearranged them in a proper timeline, the story would be even more confusing because, the, like, the really crafty thing that Nolan has done is made it so that you get, like I said, you get the result before you get the action, but knowing the action after the result makes that even more 
intense. And I will give one example because I don't want I want people who haven't seen this to really be able to enjoy it. There is the character of Natalie, and in one scene she comes in, her face is is pummeled, and 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 Leonard goes, "What happened?" And she says, "Dodd beat me up." And Dodd turns out to be a drug dealer who is involved in this whole case. And so he, you know, she is earlier in the film. You have seen that he has dealt with Dodd, uh, beat him up, and thrown him in a closet. And then at the end of the scene where she tells him that Dodd beat her up, there is a short pause. They go back to the scene to actually what happened before this. And she comes in the house. She berates him for his problem tells him that she could say anything nasty about him, about his wife, about his condition, and and he wouldn't even remember it. And basically she riles him up to a violent stage, and he beats her up and, and gives and her— And as she's doing this, she grabs all the pencils in the, yeah, out of the house. Yeah, she takes all the pens and pencils out, and she, she gets beat up, and it's you, the marks that you have seen in the previous scene, she leaves the house, goes out and sits in her car. And he's crazy because he knows. He, he knows that she's, she's done, trying she, to trick him. Right. But he can't find a pen to can't write find it a pen, down. And then she makes a move to come back in the house and his memory just is wiped. It's gone. And she comes she in. She comes in and he goes, what happened? And she goes, Dodd beat me up. That's when you realize that people are beginning <sighs> to play him like a drum. And again, you're trying to figure out how long is his memory lapse. In this case, it's upset by a distraction, a real strong, powerful distraction. Because right from the very minute when you meet this girl, she's got a big thing on her lip. And that's to get where your eye where it belongs mm-hmm. every time, you know, when because it's a wound. It's a, a wound. It's a cut on, on her lip. lip. And you have to plan that stuff to make it work, you know, yeah. because if you're out of continuity on that stuff, you got to reshoot it. And another thing <laughs> that, you know, with the mark on her lip and draws your eye, the, the, the evolution of the tattoos, you know, tattoos you don't take off. So you can tell sort of, you can get a reference for the timeline by how many tattoos he has and which spaces are filled and which aren't, which really becomes pretty key toward right. the end. Because there is one spot on his chest, uh, on the upper left part of his chest, that is empty. And I think it's Natalie asks him, what about that spot? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm saving it. Maybe maybe when I find the guy, you know. And that plays into a little that I won't say anything about. But it plays into a little thing at the end that you really got to watch out for. And I have to tell you, I'm not even sure I understand what it means. But this movie was riveting. Just an incredible. And you really begin to start doing instead of imagining how it's going to come out imagining what led us here what led us here i mean it's a really effective well and unlike a lot of mystery stories where once you know the conclusion you know you've seen it this is one that can be watched again and again because now that you know the whole piece you can go back to the beginning or the ending and start over and it'll add in another layer to it and you'll go oh that's the connection. Because, yeah, I saw things this time around that I didn't see the first time I saw this. That I'll tell you why. On most movies, you're going to have a person called a continuity person, which really, really walks through continuity every day. And they have usually a large book, and they match buttons. They match Make all sure sorts of things. the cup is in the right place. Everything. Those continuity yeah. people are they're one of my best friends uh, in the business, Tom Johnston. He started on Raising Arizona. He's one of the best. I can only imagine how many interesting situations they came up because a lot of continuity problems don't come up until you start shooting. I'd like to talk um, to that continuity guy because he actually well, probably knows what happened. Actually, he knows the real way that's supposed to go. Well, you can't because he's actually in a small padded room out in uh, <laughs> San Dimas. We got one more clip here, right? I don't yes, we do. Doubt it. We have one more little piece of sound here. Um, this is where, uh, again, Leonard is talking about 
his condition and why it is so hard for him. Oh, it's amazing what a little brain damage will do for your credibility. I guess it's some kind of poetic justice for not believing Sammy. You know the truth about my condition, officer? You don't know anything. You feel angry, you don't know why. You feel guilty, you have no idea why. You could do anything, not have the faintest idea ten minutes later. Like Sammy. What if I'd done something like Sammy? I didn't tell you what happened to Sammy and his wife? Now, the Sammy that he's referring to um, is a, a, a secondary character in the story, and the story of Sammy kind of plays throughout the film. Sammy is, is um, played by Stephen Tobolowsky, who's a really great um, character actor. Which I just love. He played in Groundhog Day, which is played. has its similarities, similarities so it's yeah. poetically beautiful that he's here, yeah. Um, but basically, Sammy has the same problem that Leonard has. He has no short-term memory, and his wife is diabetic, and he gives his wife insulin shots. And the wife, in somewhat in despair, uh, tests her husband by telling him it's time for her insulin shot, but she keeps doing it over and over in like 15-minute increments. Because he knows that she loves her, and mm-hmm. she's just trying to test him and see, is this really true? Really, you cannot reach to me in the now? And it's a test, and right. he, he fails And it. he fails it, and, and she dies. Yeah. Um, but then later on, you find out that possibly, as the whole thing of memories being inaccurate or memories being able to be changed, that maybe it's not... Sammy. Maybe this is actually something that Leonard did in his past. Maybe his wife wasn't murdered. Maybe he accidentally killed her. You know, and it all it all kind of becomes all balled up there near the end, and you're left, you know, you're left at the end of the movie sitting there going, What? And and having to figure a lot of this out. That's one of the nice things about it is is that Nolan doesn't do a lot of a lot of little hand holding and taking you through the story. He kind of throws you in the mixer and lets you come out the other end and Try to put your pieces back together and figure out what's happened, which is just amazing. It's beautiful. Very important to remember that when Nolan made this, he wasn't under the iron hand of a studio. It's my um, – I would be willing to bet that he had final cut on this picture, which, you know, hardly anybody gets, you know. Uh, the studio you would probably go in there and ham fist this thing all up and make sure you understand. They would probably put little red dots on sections, you know, so you could remember. Pay attention, very important yeah. here. Yeah. But he was, since I believe he financed this was an independent film, he was able to cut this thing and get his success first, and then, um, then you know, he became a very, very uh, good director in Hollywood because now he's doing Batman. But on a guy like him, it's going to be really hard. I mean, it's just this is one of the terrible things about success. It's going to be very hard for him to top this. Uh, he can make all the Batmans he wants, but nothing is going to be as cool as this movie. Um, in fact, I was a little disappointed. It wasn't. It didn't have the panache or, you know, the really incredibly strong style that he had in this movie of forcing that story forwards, which is not really quite saying it right because it's going backwards. <laughs> Forcing you know? the story <laughs> backwards. Um, and that's what they fight for is people have fight for the ability to push their story forward without losing somebody's attention. And he did it showing off. You know, he was riding his bicycle upside down on his head, mm-hmm. you know, on this. <laughs> You're listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. We're talking about the perfect movie, Memento, released in 2000. And um, it I, I've never seen anything quite like it. I felt uh, completely engaged the entire time. I've never seen a movie like it. I mean, we... we... I, I really cannot think of another movie. I, I mean, there are other films I have seen... Uh, like Once Upon a Time in America, where different time decades, and like Godfather too, where 
time decades are are flipped back and forth. You go from one decade to another, but nothing where time actually consistently goes in reverse to tell a story, and you are basically forced to remember things. And when they go back to that, then you go, oh, that's what that refers to. And it's so clever. It's a great mechanism to tell it in this way because it's kind of like his memory. It's just resetting all the time. Reset, reset, Well, he reset. says in the movie, he says, I can't make new memories. Everything just fades. Mm-hmm. He can't make, you know, he starts his life over every 15 seconds, every 10 seconds. His whole life starts over. And you, because you're pulling for the protagonist, are sucked into this. Um, you're finding that... Hey, you know it's not such a bad lifestyle after all. You know you don't remember, and he kind of <laughs> kind of puts you into that uh, Zen kind of thing. Well, I don't have to worry. I don't have to. Uh, I have no problems with anything because I don't remember anything. You know he's he's actually pretty good natured and and happy if it weren't for the murdering mm-hmm. and yeah. the killing. Yeah, and then <laughs> he's not even mad when he finds out what they were doing. He can't remember. Oh, well, I don't know what happened, George. (laughs) Well, it is a perfect movie. I'll give you that. I mean, certainly, as far as rule one, it uh, from the get-go, when that uh, Polaroid starts undeveloping, Mm -hmm. and it just sets the scene, and you are in. That world is created, and it is fully sustained. There's just not not a single break. The only thing I do fear now, that that Polaroid has discontinued the manufacturing of Polaroid film, and it'll probably be gone by the end of this year. Um, that future audiences may look at that little device and have no idea what it is. There's a good chance doing. that the, the, the film won't fade on us, though. It'll that's still right. look pretty darn good. <laughs> the film itself. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, that's sad. So there will be a time when that reference that, that is so common to us all now won't, will be lost on some In people. the motion yeah. picture industry, the Polaroid camera was a big, big deal because for years, and this is what's really cool about this movie, is continuity for years and years and years, you know, and, and they only stopped doing it with the digital cameras. We always did continuity on Polaroid uh, photographs because people, the continuity people would, you know, and the props people, everybody would carry, everyone would carry a ring around and they'd put their Polaroids. They'd punch a hole in them and that way they can match up. Yeah, his color was green and all of continuity in motion pictures, I think even at this time, was done with Polaroids. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a neat thing because continuity is a big deal in this movie technically, not so much in the story. Right. Another very cool thing about this way of doing it. Um, We've been talking about Memento, and uh, I I highly recommend it. Don't take the kids. There's just a great deal of profanity here. Yeah, thank. Yeah, lots and lots of uh, sass mouth. But um, I I didn't, you know, I didn't really square off on the actors. I didn't give them too much credit. But I will say that Joe Pantoliano carries the energy in this picture like you would not believe where a guy just kind of trudge or a guy Pierce just kind of trudges through and Carrie Moss is good but you know without think about what this movie would be like without Joe he was he's such a great actor Um, if you're out there Joe Fantastic. <laughs> Good job. Uh, you've been listening to Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, and we've been talking about the movie Memento, perfect in every way. And hey, thanks. It's nice to be back in the saddle, and I'd like to thank the both of you for being along. George Williman, thanks for being here. What? Oh, yes, sure. <laughs> Jay Todd Anderson, always a pleasure to see you back here. I just went out checking my driver's license to see if I exist. I'm fading. Oh.
Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.